Before we get into today's episode, I want to tell you about another ESPN podcast. The CJ McCollum Show every week is hosted by Pelican star CJ McCollum. CJ discusses names and storylines in and around the NBA with inside perspective you can only get from someone in the locker room and on the floor. That's the CJ McCollum Show. Listen wherever you're listening to this podcast. Welcome to another Adam Schefter podcast as we get ready to head into week nine of the NFL season and we come out of what was the single busiest NFL trade line day in NFL history. Ten trades made on Tuesday alone. That doesn't include the five that were made in the past week, which means there were 15 trades over the last week as teams gear up for the second half of the season. And when we woke up on Tuesday morning, we had no idea that there would be 10 trades. We didn't know that TJ Hawkinson would be traded from Detroit to Minnesota or that Chase Claypool would be traded from Pittsburgh to Chicago. We did have an idea that Bradley Chubb would be headed to South Beach in a mega deal with the Denver Broncos, but we didn't know that Calvin Ridley would be traded from Atlanta to Jacksonville. We didn't know that Naheem Hines would be traded from Indianapolis to Buffalo or that the Chiefs would trade cornerback Rashad Fenton to Atlanta or that Buffalo would reacquire safety Dean Marlowe from Atlanta. But all of that happened and unfolded on what was the single busiest trade line day that we've seen. And I think what it's about, as much as anything, is that the new guard of general managers and front office executives have essentially grown up in an environment where it's okay to try to improve your team, where it's okay to trade away players or future picks. Last year, we saw the Rams general manager, Les Snead, break out the t-shirt, F the picks. And essentially, everybody's adopted that motto, F the picks. And now we're seeing picks flying everywhere. The Miami Dolphins at one point had two first-round draft picks heading into the 2023 draft. Now they have none. But they do have Bradley Chubb, the former Pro Bowl linebacker, who they'll pair opposite Jalen Phillips as they try to bring down Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes and compete in the AFC East and try to go to the AFC Championship game. So teams are not worried about the picks. And they're seeing other teams make deals, which leads them to make deals. And when one team makes a deal, another team wants to make a deal to try to keep up. And so we're seeing this explosion of activity culminating in trades that now make the NFL as busy on the trade deadline day as the NBA is on its trade deadline day. And it's changed the way the sport is conducted. It's changed the way that front offices operate. And it's changed the course of the NFL season. Now we're going to see if TJ Hawkinson is a factor in Minnesota's playoff push and its drive to put away the NFC North. Now we're going to see if Bradley Chubb can make the difference. Now we're going to see if Chase Claypool can elevate Justin Fields' play. And by the way, this doesn't even include the trades that we saw Robert Quinn being traded to Philadelphia, where we saw Roquan Smith, the leading tackler in the NFL, a man that has more tackles over the last five seasons than anyone other than Bobby Wagner, traded to Baltimore, where Christian McCaffrey was traded from Carolina to San Francisco for four draft picks. And tell me this. Do the 49ers win that game Sunday against the Los Angeles Rams if they don't have Christian McCaffrey? 
And the answer to that is no. And so that trade paid off for itself. That trade paid itself off on one Sunday this past week when the 49ers boosted their record to 4-4 four four with a win over their division rival, the Los Angeles Rams. And now the 49ers have a whole host of injured players all coming back the week after the bye, and the 49ers are poised to make a push in the second half of the season that was helped by the fact that they traded for Christian McCaffrey. Everybody's caught the fever. Everybody wants to make a trade, and guess what? They now have to wait until after the season to make any more trades because the trade deadline has passed, thankfully. It's time to go take a nap tonight as we record this at 5.30 Tuesday afternoon, about 90 minutes after the NFL trade deadline wrapped up. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do, big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Adam today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Adam. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, we're going to flash ahead to this week's podcast in which we are going to be joined with the 49ers Head coach Kyle Shanahan, the Rams head coach Sean McVay, and the Packers head coach Matt LaFleur all together all at once. Now, here's the backstory. This conversation was recorded last spring at the NFL owners meetings with all three coaches together. And it was planned in advance of the owners meetings. And I had proposed to the coaches that they get together before the NFL held its annual get together at the Monday night NFL owners meetings function I said, let's do 5.30 right before the party begins at 6.30. That way you guys can stop by. We can have the conversation on the way out to the gala that night. Well, ESPN hired a whole crew. The whole crew is getting ready inside the hotel. And one of the coaches called me to say, hey, is it possible that we could cancel? We're all hanging out on the beach at the pool, having fun, having a few drinks. And frankly, we want to extend this afternoon and we don't want to do the interview. And I was like, okay, no problem. So we had to cancel the crew that ESPN paid a lot of money for and reschedule them for the next morning. And the next morning, Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, Matt LaFleur were kind enough to join us after their coach's breakfast. We sat down for about an hour and talked about their time together in Washington where all three men coached together on the same Washington coaching staff before Kyle Shanahan 
and Matt LaFleur were fired and Sean McVay was kept on and they went their own way, but they've stayed very close and enjoy each other's company. And as friendly as they are, that's how much they like to compete with one another, but they've risen up through the ranks together to where they are today, viewed as some of the brightest minds in the entire sport. And those bright minds sat down with us to share some of their ideas about their time together in Washington and what it's like to compete with one another in a rather lengthy, insightful, and revealing interview that we're playing right here. Now, we played a portion of this interview on ESPN Sunday NFL Countdown this past week. We ran a feature about it, but that feature ran for about seven minutes, and there was a lot of feedback that we got on it, a lot of positive feedback. People enjoyed hearing from these men, but there was so much quality content from them that we didn't want to waste any of it. So rather than just using the seven-minute piece on ESPN Sunday NFL Countdown, we have the full, extended conversation right here on the podcast this week as we come out of the NFL's trade deadline and go into week nine, Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, and Matt LaFleur. You guys are 133-78. and 78. Nine playoff appearances, six NFC Championship games, three Super Bowl appearances, one Super Bowl victory. You ever stop to think how far you've come to get to this point now? No, I, I think uh, it's special, but when you think back to the things that we learned and getting to work and, and learn under these guys, um, you know, the, the competitiveness, but the healthy competitiveness that existed day in and day out is I think what made this group special. And, you know, learning from Kyle and Matt is a big reason why, you know, I feel like we've been able to do some good stuff in LA. Uh, I, I mean, you say all that stuff and just being a coach, um, there's only one person happy at the end of the year, and it's this freaking guy. So um, <laughs> we're just hoping to get to that point. <laughs> I don't even feel like I belong here, man. These guys have both been in the Super Bowl. So, I mean, shoot, oh, got a long way to go. Well, if, if 13 and four is your uh, your worst season yet as a head coach, <laughs> screw you. <laughs> you feel like you don't belong in this group? No, I'm, I'm teasing. Mean that. But, but, no, these guys both have been to, you know, to the Super Bowl. So, um you know, they got, they got, they can talk a lot more crap to me than uh, I can to them. But when, you come to, talk now. but when you come to a meeting like this, right, um, when you're in a space like this and you're together, do you stop to think how far you've come from your days together in Washington back in 2010 through 2013? I mean, not till you put it that awkward way for us. <laughs> it's, um, it's funny when we get together because we're all the same slapdicks as we started out. And it comes out as soon as we get together. So we, we, it happens fast, but it is weird. It's, um, it's cool too, though. I and mean, we all started out as good friends and looking at, I mean, look, dang, we're old now. See, that shows day. you how screwed up this profession is. I, I, I look like I've aged 50 years since <laughs> I mean, the dog years is real right there. Man, what did Cooper Cup's wife say to you about that picture? Well, there was a video that went around during like the playoffs when it was like division around and we're all still going. And she said, man, Sean's really aged since then. I said, I hate my life. <laughs> it is. Uh, you know what, though? The, the, this, you know, Kyle and I were talking about this yesterday. I hate being in the same division where we play each other twice a year. Because when we do get in these moments and we can share and be able to talk ball with one another, you realize why, you know, it was such a beneficial thing when we were in Washington. And I didn't realize it at the time, but the competitiveness, the way that these guys approach the game, you know, one of the things about Kyle that I think Matt and I would both both be able to uh, 
you know, to echo is that when we would be responsible for certain parts of the game plan, you better have thought through every single avenue in terms of having an answer, being able to solve the problems. And I think learning from these guys, but having that foundation has really set a standard for how we want to operate and why things have gone good for all of us. And that came from Kyle? Yeah, I mean, because, you know, he was I was I was a quality control. He's the offensive coordinator and, you know, you're responsible for breaking down the film. Then when I started coaching the tight ends, you you have certain parts of the game plan that you're responsible for. And if you're going to suggest plays and you take a lot of pride in getting the plays that you suggested in the game plan, but you better have really thoroughly thought through every single avenue and element. And when those plays worked or if they didn't, you know, Kyle was ripping your ass. <laughs> I, I told him yesterday, I said, and I mean this in the best way possible. I said, he was a pain in the to work for but there's a reason that all of us are at this table today is because we did have to work for, you know work for him we got that opportunity and we learned so much from him but you know he's got a high standard but i think we all do now because yeah. of of being around him and his dad i mean i think he sounds a little sensitive but <laughs> <laughs> no I, the, the coolest atmosphere you can have i mean I always go back to in college when you're just after practice and you go home and you're sitting there with all your guys that you play football with and you sit there and you play Madden until like till two in the morning and you're just talking crap to each other and keeping it real but being harsh and just challenging the heck out of each other. And when you can have that, you can create kind of that atmosphere in a building to where there's really no filters because you're all tight. You're all friends, but you're also we weren't friends before it. We became friends working together and um, you challenge each other. And when you can get comfortable with people like that, you bring out the best in everyone. I mean, I think we did that with each other all the time. That's that's why I liked working for my dad. That was the first head coach mm -hmm. that I could actually be that way with. I mean, because you don't be that way with the head coach, but when I can go to dinner and have an argument with him and keep it real, it actually, that, that was good for him too, because it made him better or it would make me better in, in one way. And we were just constantly always just battling each other and you end up getting a lot better because of it. So back in Washington, you're the offensive coordinator. You're the quarterback's coach. You're the assistant tight ends coach initially. Yeah, like basically quality control. I was working with the receivers and then the tight ends. Yeah, he was he was the quality control, but then um, John Embry got the head coach job at CU for like the last five games of the year. And then we gave him the interim tight end coach and he did such a good job at the end of the year he became the tight end coach. So what did you expect from each of them in those roles? Actually, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> only, the only reason that he had to make me the tight ends coach is because Jay Gruden wanted me to be the receivers coach in Cincinnati. And I said, hey, man, it's one or the other. You can't freaking block me. <laughs> and uh, my dad would have blocked him. I wouldn't have, but my dad was harsher at that time. So Sean McVay could have been with the Cincinnati Bengals. I'm glad it worked out the way that it did, but it was because, you know, they gave me the opportunity to coach the tight ends for those last handful of weeks. And really, you know, I, I do think this, and, and Kyle can tell you, because Matt really helped train me because, you know, Matt was Kyle's right-hand guy in, in Houston, and then he brings him as a quarterback coach. And Matt kind of trained me in a lot of ways. But sometimes that quality control or that, that role is more important than a position coach with how much he relies on it. And so that's a hard thing, and I can understand that because when you are working hand-in-hand and -hand some of the things that you're really looking for from that person, you know, when they go, go into another role, it, can, it might not even be as significant even though – you want to continue to grow and, and become a position coach. And, and it was only in a complimentary way where, hey, there was a willingness to do that. But because I had another opportunity to be the receivers coach with the Bengals or the quarterback coach, however you look at it, that was what ended up, you know, they I couldn't have been more grateful for the way I was treated, but that definitely wasn't hurtful 
and getting a chance to coach the position full time. No, I know what Deshaun's saying though, because you want to be a position coach so fast and quality control. It's great. It's so good for you, but you want to coach guys. And so that's what you're, everyone is so hungry to do. But once you do get to that position role, not that's what you're doing every single day. I mean, you're, you're locked in, you're responsible for that group of guys. And sometimes when you can be in that quality control role, even though you're not getting to coach a room, you have to do everything. And, and that's why the, and the coordinator, who's not always in a room, he's worrying about the whole offense. Um, you got to rely on that QC the most. And that's why the QCs are usually the most important guy to the coordinator, because that's the guy, if they can handle a lot, they can help you a ton, not just by doing busy work, but someone who um, you can bounce things off of, the guy who's breaking down the tape, who didn't just study it from the tight end perspective, but he studied it from everything. And those are guys, that's why they were so good at it. What do you remember about him as a boss back then? Like I said earlier, the unattainable standard that uh, you were always striving for. But um, no, it was it was great, man. Like he just he's got he's one step ahead of I feel like the competition, and that's one thing that has kind of taught I would say all of us really to just to really never be content, never be complacent, and knowing that you have to evolve. But I just think back to when we drafted Robert Griffin and just how, you know, we're, we're trying to implement an offense that none of us had run, run before. And we're just doing it by watching tape. And I'll never forget when we were sitting in there as an offensive staff, we watched, what, a hundred and some odd plays with, with his dad. hundred and some odd plays about a thousand times. I know. And, yeah, and we're, all ready, we're all ready for a break. <laughs> and his dad's like, oh, yeah, run it again. That just the work ethic and the attention to detail, everything that goes into trying to be your best is what we I think we could all say that we learned from not only him, but his dad. That was picking up a whole new offense. You picked up a lot of the stuff from Baylor that they ran for RG3 then, right? And implemented it in Washington. Is that correct? The biggest thing was what what. What we studied the most was what happened in the NFL up to that yeah. point because it wasn't necessarily what they were doing in college. Everyone could see what they're doing in college, but it was what's it do to NFL defenses. Um, so the biggest tape that we had was going off of all the zone read stuff and all that from the years prior, which we had a tape just put together. I mean, it had Ben Young on it. It had, yeah. you know, Tebow. Tebow, it, had Tebow. it just had how the NFL was playing that stuff. And so when we could see that, that's kind of what we put it in off of and built it and tried to – all right, we need this to last us through the year. So how do you start on day one to day to week 16? The, I think to me, you know, what we were able to do, the best coaches, they change the math. You know, you're still playing 11 on 11, but how many different ways can you recreate angles, leverages, get the numbers in your favor? The one thing that I learned from Kyle and, and both Matt was, you know, understanding the nuances of how to manipulate the rules defensively. That's where I think there's a there's a real separator is, OK, there's an intent behind every single play, but the willingness to have the flexibility to say, OK, this is different than what we've done, but it's still 11 on 11. What you see in terms of how you know defensive football is being played, whether you look at it, the Wildcat or when you're talking about activating the quarterback as a runner, most of the defenses at the time were predicated on playing 11 on 10, not ever having to account for the quarterback as a runner and how that dictated a lot of structures that enabled, you know, Obviously, we led the league in rushing that year, but there was a lot of things. I mean, there was one play-action concept by itself that, you know, we're throwing – those guys threw for over 1,000 yards on. And, you know, it was uh, it was fun, but there was a willingness and an agility that I think you've seen throughout the course of both these guys' careers now 
to be about the players first. And that's what the good ones do, and that's exactly what Kyle did. Did that influence the way the game is played today, what you were doing back then? Um, I mean, this, yes, because it worked. And so then defenses adjust. I mean, if you study that stuff now, like, you better be doing it a little different. Defenses, yeah. no, it's not, it's not always 10 on 11. Back then it was. Every gap was sound, and they always – you're outnumbered because no one accounted for the quarterback uh, once – People started doing that. That's why we had so much success that year because people hadn't changed their defenses yet. Um, but the next year they did, and they learned how to, all right, let's play it this way. We do have to play 11 on 11. So it's not, all right, that doesn't work anymore. It's no, you change their defense, which means now they're playing the quarterback running better, but they're playing everything else worse. Um, so can you go back to the other stuff till they defend that, and then you can come back to the other, and that's why – who has the chalk last or who has the guy with the skill set that can do everything. And that's what you're always searching for. What about the personal part of being in Washington together at that time in your lives? I think a couple of you guys were in your 20s, you were in your 30s at that point. Did you guys grow up together personally in Washington? Well, yeah, I would say, I mean, shoot, Sean lived uh, right across the street from me. So he was over all the time having dinner at my house when he was uh, out there you know, being a single bachelor out trying to entice some, trying to entice some females to go on a date with them. (laughs) We had, we had a lot of fun together. I think, you know, Mike T, uh, he always tells us we've got a youthful arrogance. And I think that there was a willingness to just keep learning, push each other in the right way. I think sometimes those experiences, there, there was a positive competitiveness that existed where, you know, for me as a young coach, these are the guys that, hey, you're looking up to these guys. These are your close friends. But how many different ways can you continue to try to elevate your game? And we were doing it in, in coordination with one another. But I, I didn't realize until you look back on it how much you learned. You know, I think that's the thing is when you bring up some of the stats and the different things, if you said, am I surprised these guys have had success as head coaches? I'm not. But you appreciate the foundation that was being built there. And I think it's a real testament to Coach Shanahan. I mean, you talk about a vision. I think one of the most important things we have to do as coaches, hire good staff. And he had a vision and a belief and a willingness to take chances. I mean, I was 24 years old when they gave me a chance to be a, a tight end coach. You know, it was Matt's first position job in the NFL, coming from Houston, coaching the quarterbacks. And, you know, those are the things that, you know, you look back on and you don't realize at the time how appreciative you are of it. You know what's amazing? There are people that were critical of the fact that you guys are so young. The son of Mike Shanahan, friends of Kyle Shanahan, right? We're a fun bunch. Yeah. <laughs> what, 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 what does that mean? What does that mean, the fun bunch to you? Yeah, we were just a bunch of young guys, you know, but I don't think people truly understood how much time and effort that we put into trying to learn the game and, and be the best. So um, I think that's a stereotype that probably happens no matter what business you're in, if you see a bunch of young guys and there's probably a little bit of uh, cockiness that that existed that maybe rubbed some people the wrong way. I don't know. I don't think so. We we weren't that cocky. We were getting the butts kicked. <laughs> I know. That's we, true. We, we had one good year. <laughs> yeah. and we were just in a, a horrible situation. So there's going to, I mean, you know how that building was at that time. And um, it was tough. I mean, that's where I, I was just so invested in going to, that was my first time working with my dad. It was so important for me to go work other places. Um, and my whole life, I always wanted to do that. But it, I knew one day I wanted to work with my dad. And when he came back, and we got to do that. And we didn't know Sean. My dad let me bring him with me and had him be quarterback coach. And we interviewed Sean. And he was 
baby Gruden the first time he talked. <laughs> um, and, um, I mean, my dad was so pumped up and we hired him and then we get there and it was just, he allowed it to be just football for us. He kept everything kind of away from, and he dealt with everything. And so we just kind of were in our hole and it was just football all the time and nothing else. Um, and, but it was, it was tough because like, we were younger. Um, it was always hard on me because I felt like everyone, I'd always get asked, like, how was Denver? And everyone thought I came from the Broncos. And then when you start to hear anything, it's not um, Coach Shanahan, it's the Shanahans. And I'm like, no, there's not an S at the end of the name. That's him. He's the head coach. Yeah. I'm the co and so, like, it was always like that. And then I had these guys who they end up coming off as, man, you just hired your friends. Because just and no one knows what you're doing. They go off your record. So you earned some respect in 2012 when we did some good things. And that's what we we're excited about. But it was a grind. It always was. And um, we were in a tough position there. And then um, now we've removed from it. And I look back and I'm like, man, those are some of the best things that ever happened to us. Mm -hmm. Like I was so like trying to help my dad out. I hated to see that him the career he had at Denver and to what the situation he was in in Washington. Um, these guys are so hungry trying to start their career. I'm trying to do it too. I'm feeling like I'm ruining it at the time. <laughs> um, but now we look back and it's, man, that made us all so much stronger. Yeah. And some of the positions we've been in ever since that after Washington and then what we went through there, I just, we were battle tested and you could go through a lot. But going through the fires there was a real deal. Well, oh yeah. Yeah. I think people generally, you, you typically learn more from your uh, failures than you do your successes. And it, it, there is a, a calloused mindset that comes along with going through some adverse times. I, and you watch everyone go through it. I mean, that's when you, that's where you go through it as a coordinator the most. And these guys all went through it. Like right after I left Washington, he had to go through it there. Matt had to go through it in Tennessee. Like when you're really on your own and, um, it's different the first time. I remember I was getting crushed in Washington and I remember saying something and Matt came in all happy and positive. He's like, oh, don't worry about that stuff, man. That's not a big deal. You know, that's not right. I'm like, yeah, you're right. Let's move on. And, but I'm like, dude, this is kind of hard. He's like, come on, dude, don't pay attention. And like two weeks later, I go into his office and he's just like, I'm like, what? He's like, look what they said. I'm like, dude, this, that whole article is about how bad I am. And they just said one word about you. I'll, I'll, tell, you what, I'll tell you what they said. I'll tell you what they said. I got a quote. I saved one of the quotes. This is the NFL. It's not supposed to be a training ground for coaches. It's ridiculous. Look at this staff. It sucks. Oh. That the one we're talking about? Hey, I want to know, know who that dumb is that yeah. said that. No doubt. No doubt. No, no, but they, they, were, they were strategic hit pieces. And that's what you learn about at that time. And it was coming. And this, what do you do? And that that's where... You know, that's uh, your fan hurts your family. Your wife, she's like, what's the deal? And it's, that's what was cool about that time, though, because it, it wasn't easy. But after you went through that, you realize, I still love coaching. Like, why do I do this? It's not for everyone to tell you how good you are or how bad you are. It's because, no, you actually like coaching. And that's really what you want to do. And you have a passion about it. And once you come, sometimes you don't always know that until you have to go through something. When I was in Houston, I was coordinator and I was 28 and 29. And everything just seemed easy. And you, you're... You don't have any scars yet. And then when it first hits you, you're like, whoa, that's tough. And But that's what made it, I think, all of us prepared to be head coaches. Because um, I've been with head coaches. You watch them, and it's kind of the first time they've gone through adversity. And you watch them go through what, you know, I think we went through a lot as coordinators. And it does make you stronger if you can survive it. Um, but you got to survive it. The one thing, too, that we've talked about a lot is he cared. You know, his dad is a Hall of Fame coach, right? And so it was that. 
more than it was anything else. Like he's always been so mentally tough and never really phased by it, but it was because doing it with your dad, wanting to be able to help keep that legacy established where he is a Hall of Famer. He's done so many things. But the one thing that I think stayed true for us throughout, there we never wavered in the love of the game and the confidence of continuing to get better as a coach. Like we weren't getting the results, but I can honestly say it was still fun because we love football. And I think there was an unwavering belief that, hey, we're, we're going to keep figuring this out. You never lost that zest and that joy for coaching in spite of some of the difficult times that we had to work through. And there's no doubt about it that those setbacks, you know, allowed us to be stronger and more resilient when you do have to handle some of the inevitable things that come up in our roles all the time that, you know, if you don't handle it, it's not going to be a good movie for you. It's amazing, though, like, because we only had that one year where we went, won, won our division, went to the playoffs. And that's the stuff I remember the most. You know, I don't remember as much of the losing because I would say generally. Not, you, I do. <laughs> <laughs> on a day to day basis, though, but I enjoyed coming to work each and every day. And it didn't matter. You know, it's because of the people that you're around. So, what about going against each other now? You've done it in the playoffs. You've done the regular season. You go against each other twice a year. You yeah. said you hate being in the same division as Kyle. What is that like when you know the way each of you think and you know each other's tendencies and you have to go up against each other as three of the best teams in the NFC and the National Football League? I think for me, the, the main reason that I don't like it is because, you know, I got respect for these guys and you want to be able to talk ball. And there's an element of you still have to protect – you know, we're, hey, you play each other twice a year, played Matt a couple times. You know, these guys have played each other. And there's just an element of you can't be as open as you'd like. You wish these guys were in the other conference because now if we're seeing each other, unless it's one of that, you know, every four years where you're playing somebody, you're saying, okay, the Super Bowl, these are these are champagne problems. But that's really more for me. And then you just know how good these guys are. You love to be able to go against them as a competitor. But for me, it's just not being able to share as openly as we'd like to bounce ideas off of one another. Hey, what are you doing in this play right here? What are you guys trying to get done? And we do it, but you can't be as open as you'd like. That's the main thing. Can you do you know, that for me. the season? You share ideas no. even though you're in the same division? No, right? <laughs> not at Every all. Every now and again. <laughs> but I mean, not. Well, I say rarely. Being in the same division, you know, I, I know I would like to be able to bounce some stuff off more than I ain't telling them shit. <laughs> yeah, I'm not answering my phone. So it's, you never um, answer your phone anyway. So it's um, that's the hardest part because I mean, we, we like to talk ball, and um, I also know how competitive they are. So they're probably giving me drinks, and they have water in there, and they're trying to trick me. This is how I we approach everything almost. But that's that's what he means. Like we would like to not have to worry about that, and. Uh, we used to not have to, and someday we'll eventually not have to, but um, yeah, it's not as fun when you're in the same division. What about going up against them even though you're not in their division? Well, What's I that? just know they're two of the best teams in the league. And so, um, you know, one thing that you better be at your best when you're going against, whether it's the L.A. Rams or the San Francisco 49ers, otherwise you're going to get your butt beat. So, um, But I'll, I remember year one in, in L.A. being with Sean, going against these guys. I went into our defensive staff and I'm trying to, you know, give them everything that we think they're going to do. And you guys go out and hang like almost 40 points on us. So you, you try not to overthink those matchups when, when you start playing, playing guys that you've all kind of learned together, you know, the game. Yeah, it's, it's 
people put too much into that. It's not like, oh, I know him. I know what he's going to do. Like, yeah, I know he's going to do whatever's best for his players in the situation he's in. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not you're, you're adjusting your players. You don't just have this book that you run. And so you don't know what they're going to do. Uh, it's, you'd study the tape and you have ideas of it, but it's not guys don't just do stuff because that's who they are. They, these guys are good coaches. They're going to do whatever makes sense for their team. And that's what you got to try to figure out what makes sense for their team, not what Sean likes to do or what Matt likes to do. But are you not more apt to know what these guys are thinking, even with their personnel? You're not more apt to understand what they might try to do to you or how, how they might attack you? Yeah, you do. But you also understand that they understand that you understand. <laughs> I just sound like um, the guy from Dodgeball. <laughs> but but it's like it's that's why I guarantee like that's why I don't want to talk to the defense too much. I'll mess them up. Sean's going to do this. They'll be like, "Okay." I like, "But if you do that, he's going to do that." And they're like, "Okay." And they're like, "But don't do that because he has that." Like, you have an answer for every coverage, so sure. it's just about percentages of keeping them off. And that's what none of us know, and that's why um, players can make you right a lot. I think the, the thing that we would all share is a similar core belief system. And I really, going back to your dad, where, you know, there's a commitment to a philosophy, but all of our offenses are different. They're, they change every year, but it's predicated on our players. But there is, hey, we want to try to marry the run and the pass. You want to be able to try to put pressure and give that little second of hesitation where it forces defense to be a little bit slower to react. That's, to me, where you see similarities. But the way that they're running the football, the moving parts, the way that Matt's been able to do it in Green Bay, some of the things we're doing in L.A., there's similar philosophies, but there's different ways that those plays come to life, if you will. And it's all about the players, and I think that's what makes these guys such good coaches. Do you ever study each other during the offseason and implement someone's plays? Have you ever taken one of his plays, taken one of his plays? Oh, I, it happens. I watch their film. I, I, on a weekly, best coaches I would say the best a weekly thieves. basis. Weekly basis? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, there's, yeah, we watch – I'm watching Green Bay and, and San Fran every single week. And what are you looking for? Opportunities to steal their ideas. <laughs> if it you fits too. for us. Oh, 100%. It's, I think there's so much respect that we all have for each other in terms of football, um, the football that we present. And I know that if he's running a play, it's been well thought through. So same with Sean. So why wouldn't you try to? you know, steal something every now and again. And you're Sean's right though. So when you come from, we do come from the same foundation and then you branch off based off of your situation with your team and your players. So, but when you do come from the same foundation of, we do like to be balanced and you try to marry the run in the past and things like that, you can see how guys got to another area because you come from the same philosophy, from the same ideas. And that's also what, why it intrigues you more when you watch someone implement a play that you don't do into the offense because you know you come from a similar area. So why did that make sense for him? Does it for us? Does it for our player? And that's stuff you can't call him and talk to him about. He'll lie, say the wrong things. <laughs> uh, but that's so we just watch the silent tape and try to figure it out. Has it ever happened that you've taken somebody else's play and then deployed it against that coach and team that week? Oh, yeah. That happens all the time. Definitely. Yeah. It's, there's only five eligibles. So, I mean, if someone's acting like they have this brand new way of how to distribute those five, they're full of it. I mean, it's been done before. Um, It's just how you package it together when you do it and how you set things up. And forgive me for not knowing that, but when it's being done and someone takes your play and they're running against you, do you recognize that being your play? Oh, yeah. You know, like all the time. And what goes through your mind when that happens? It's irritating. (laughs) (laughs) Especially when it works. I get so mad when we run a play 
and it doesn't work. And then I watch the other team run the same play like two quarters later. Like I get so it works. I get yeah. so frustrated. Hey, I remember when we the very first time we played when we were in LA. Remember we hit cup on the cross jet choice, and you're like, I can't believe you guys are running all oh, yeah. these variations of stuff. And but it is. I mean, there's all th- these are all just offsets of things that have been done before. But does it fit? You know, there's certain ways that he's utilizing Debo or Kittle that all right, maybe we can or can't do those kind of things. But there still is a philosophy that exists, and I'm stealing stuff from these guys all the time. What about that play? Give me that play, that coop. That Cooper Cup would have flashed. Well, what yeah, happened? They were trying play? not to show us a variation of man coverage that they were running, and something that I had learned, you know, back in in Washington about, you know, it was it was basically an option route, and, and Cup went on an in breaking route, and we could sit here and talk about this play for a long time if we wanted to, <laughs> but it was uh, there was just certain things that we had some success with running them against, you know, running against them that Thursday night game, and you know, it's. Uh, it's fun. It's fun to see that stuff, but it's a challenge. I mean, because we're always trying to just stay a step ahead. And, and I was talking with Kyle about this the other day. You can see the influence that he's had on the defense and how good and, and how committed they are to a philosophy each of the last handful of years and even some of the coverages and, and stuff. And it's a challenge. Three of the elite teams in the NFC and the National Football League. What was it like for each of you to see Tom Brady come back to football this year? I was very happy. The world's a better place when he's playing football. It's, yeah, if he's, he's on our team, get him the hell out of the league. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to go against him, but no. I mean, to watch Tom last year at 44, this isn't, you don't get in trouble for talking. No. And, all right. I don't think so. No. Um, to watch how he played Maybe. last year, like, I mean, you want that guy in this league it's always. Yeah. It's better for the game when the best players are continuing to play. Like, if Aaron would have walked away, that would have been bad for the game of football. The thing is, like, his consistency, I mean, you realize how hard it is just to win a game, but the consistency that he's operated with, the competitive stamina that he has, and like Kyle's saying, I'm so you, – you watch what he's done each of the last couple of years in Tampa. I mean, it's like he's getting better. It's unbelievable the way that, you know, the, the way that he takes care of himself, the way that he elevates everyone around him, um, you know, the way that he's throwing the football and how consistently he's seeing the field. It's, it's unbelievable. And looks like he's gotten better the last couple of years. It really does. I mean, Definitely. It's, it's amazing. He's yeah. older than all of you guys, I believe. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely how does that make you feel? Inferior. <laughs> I mean, he is. I mean, it's incredible. Yeah, these players used to be older than us a lot. Now it's not happening much. Sure. Um, so it's changing. That goes. That Except happens. for Sean. Yeah. That's true. Young. You're the oldest, right? Are I am old? the oldest. Yeah. By like a month. See how 40, he said that? Like I am the oldest. It's the only thing I got on this guy. <laughs> Oh, whatever. <laughs> Vince Lombardi's winning percentage. <laughs> and along those lines, we, we also have talked about the dual threat quarterback, right? But if we look at the last six quarterbacks to win the Super Bowl, Matthew Stafford, Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, Nick Foles, Peyton Manning. We don't have a dual threat quarterback in there. What does that say about the state of the game today? I think, I think it says it, that's how it's kind of always been in terms of eventually – you're going to have to sit in that pocket and make some big-time plays. Um, And, I mean, all the guys who move, you can create a lot and you can break defenses down, but the more it goes in the playoffs, the more to the Super Bowl, eventually they can contain you, and you got to be able to sit in there and make that throw. And there definitely isn't 32 people on the planet who can do that. It's it's as hard of a position there is in sports, and there's so much that goes into it, and it's um, athletic Mm -hmm. ability can get you into the club, but it doesn't mean you're always going to be there at the end. 
I think it's a matter of time, though. It, I mean, yeah. just like anything, there, there's going to be a dual threat guy that's that's going to want it here eventually. Maybe Trey Lance. Maybe we're going to try to <laughs> prevent that from happening, but uh, we're going to try try our best. Yeah, I should, I, mean, I, I should ask you this. A couple of years ago, there were people speculating that Tom Brady could have gone back to San Francisco, finished his career there. You ever think what that would have been like had he done that? No, never thought about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, every night when I wake up at like two in the morning, no, I'm sure. <laughs> Give me the lowest moment in Washington. The lowest. I, 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 I'll tell you when, when, when it was final that we weren't going to be working together anymore because i mean like i said I, I, granted uh unfortunately we lost more than we won there but like I, it truly was it was awesome to come to work every day with people that you're so invested in and you know just for that to come to an end that was that was hard at least on me personally was that the only time that you guys have been fired yeah um, yeah right no yeah did you not realize that until I just said that? Yeah, I didn't realize that. But I was thinking because I've quit one time. Cleveland, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's the only time. But it's like a rite of passage. You got to get fired as a coach. It won't ever happen to Sean. But Actually, uh, Raheem did fire me my first year in coaching when I was in Tampa. And then, uh, you know, they let go of John and Raheem gets the head job and he fired me. He fired you? Well, it was a little bit different situation and circumstance, but it was, that was the hardest part for me. And it was really weird because I felt guilty because I was a part of, you know, why it didn't work out. And these are some of my closest friends. And then Jay Gruden gets the head job. And then I end up staying in Washington and you actually end up getting, he gets a promotion. A promotion. <laughs> he gets a promotion. But I mean, but that was, it, it was a weird, you know, cause I was excited about that opportunity, but you still like, I was a part of that staff, you know, you're like, why am I, in this spot that I'm they getting brought, a chance. They brought you aboard and they got fired. Yeah. And, you know, but we all were a part of it. And there's a reason, you know, but that was the hardest thing. Just like what Matt's saying is when you move on and then you just the, the weird range of emotions because you're like, man, I, I shouldn't be staying here either. I should be moving on. And um, it, it was a weird deal. But um, those times were, I mean, that set the foundation of, how you see the game and the way that we operate and have been instrumental in the success that I think we've all had. You ever think back on that feeling of what it feels like to be fired? Um, no, because I mean, by the time I got fired, I was wanting to get fired. I mean, we, we weren't, we were <laughs> wanting to coach the last three weeks of the season. Oh, I can't believe it, when, he made us finish. When we knew it was over Kansas City, I would say uh, that was a bad game. Yeah, it's just, it's different. It was always different for me. Just because it was more personal for right, me, your dad was and yeah, and it wasn't. I always looked at. I mean, I was thirties in my thirties, and I'm going to be coaching a lot longer. So no matter what happened, um, I knew I was going to go through highs and lows throughout my career. But I knew that was towards the end for my dad. I knew it was the end, and um, that was always the hardest thing for me because um, with you know after being there for three months, um, realized man, this isn't the situation you thought. And so I was always trying to battle that. And I just, um, it hurt you're me fighting for, my dad. for your job and you're fighting for your father. Yeah. I always, I just, I, I think it was hard for my dad too, because he knew the situation he was in, but he tried to do it for, he wanted to make it good for me too and keep it a, and sure. protect it in that way. And I was just trying to protect him. So it was always like, then, I mean, we got fined, not fined. Yeah. We just got lost $40 million an hour before free agency. 
um, and our salary cap. So we had yeah. things like that, that it was just, oh my gosh, it's one thing That's after your dad another. That story about how he found out about it. I don't know the story. I just know he came in an hour before free agency and we had um, Charles Woodson on defense committed. We had um, um, our, um, Bennett who went to Seattle and Akib Tlaib. Those were the three guys we had on defense. That might have and made it, a difference. And, oh, and in an hour got penalized that. And so you were getting Bennett, Michael Bennett? Yeah, Akib Tlaib and Charles Woodson. And then you weren't? Yeah. And, and then, then we, and we, we, uh, we, got, we were able to keep the the we were able to keep Pierre Garcon, um, but we lost all those defensive guys. Wow. That was tough. What do you think it'll be like when you dig into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, which he belongs to be in one day? What it'll be like for all of you to be there that day? Oh, it's going to be awesome. I mean, that's like the pinnacle of, of your career. Certainly, uh, there's things along the way. We all want to win Super Bowls, but to, to you know, get that honor, I mean, that's that, that's special. You know, and it's well-deserved. Your you success, get- all of your success, I think, bolsters Mike's case to be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Not that he didn't already deserve on his own. He did. No, that was the hardest thing for me because there was no doubt that my dad would be in the Hall of Fame in my mind. And just the way that Washington ended and the way it was, I just – it hurt me because I felt it tarnished my dad a little bit. And that's what's been so cool watching the success of these guys. And because they all know how good my dad is. And um, so that was one of the hardest things for me to get into coaching because I just assumed everyone was like him. And I'm like, man, I don't know if I can work that hard. Like, I, that's, and once you, I decided I could, then you get in, I'm like, man, not everyone is like that. Like, he's, he's different. And that's, that's what was so cool for us to work for him. It was so cool for me to work for him because he just did things that, None of us did that. I mean, he just he, he was he was able to do things we were we are still to this day I would say incapable of doing. <laughs> right. His ability to focus and just grind it was I've never seen anything like it. The competitive stamina is real. I mean, and lock in on something and really just be able to consistently just digest it. I mean, it really is. I mean, that's why he's one of the best to ever do it. I feel a connection with you guys in that regard because he molded you. He molded you, he molded, and he helped mold me too. Yeah. Yeah. I really feel that. Well, it's, it's funny, like, listening to these guys talk, like, that they better have something prepared to give to me and stuff. And it's like, I don't feel I'm like that way at all. But then I'm like that because of my dad. Because if I ever gave him something that he was going to attack it, and if I was going to feel like an idiot. And so I, I made sure, like, you better know your stuff. And once you did, then he was good. He didn't mess with you at all. But if you weren't prepared, you didn't do something the right way, um, he was going to show you. Yeah, that tell you did. him about your first install with the with the Zone 8. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Him and I, it was so bad because we were both were seeing it differently. And I wanted, I was seeing, I was seeing out of the pistol. He was seeing out of the shotgun. We were calling it something different. It was, and he would sit in his room and watch this tape over and over every single day, like obsess over it. He had it all memorized in the tape. And I was going a whole different direction. And um, the first day I installed it, um, I went a little more of how I saw it and he was watching it and I came in and felt so proud. Like I thought it was awesome. And I came in like, Hey, did you like that? What'd you think? He goes, it's the worst install I've ever seen. In my life. <laughs> and that's how he talks. <laughs> and like, I'm like, Even it real. <laughs> I'm so mad. And I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, the worst I've ever seen. I go, screw you, dad. And I was like, so mad. Like, and I was like, and this was at towards I the end forgot. of OTAs. Towards the end of OTAs, so it got awkward. And these guys know I'm so. And uh, anyways, my dad's mad at me because I said that to him. He forgets what he said to me though. Uh, we don't talk at practice. We're doing it all. Then my family. Then it ends, and we're going on vacation. 
and we're meeting him down in Mexico <laughs> and we're sitting at the table and we still haven't talked. It's been like the last few days of work and then it's like halfway into the first day of vacation and my wife and I'm like, have you guys still not talked since your football fight? I'm like, no. Football fight. Yeah. <laughs> but that's how, it was, and that's what I mean. That's what was kind of cool about it because you could challenge people in a different way, like only a, a father and son can, that eventually you're so mad, but you walk away. When you come back, you're both better because it you both realize the different angles someone was looking at it. And that's also what we had too because we, that's why I started at the beginning of this, how sitting in your room just, talking shit with your friends in Madden and that's kind of how it became with us and that's what that's why we got good because we were always working at it we were hungry to work at it and um when we had to get good at it what about the laminated play sheet <laughs> the laminated that's just Sean being too good at his job <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> so we were uh you know so I think we would all agree we're very particular with our call sheets and so I'm the quality control coach. I'm responsible for his call sheet. And we were playing Philly and it was our first year together and it was potentially going to rain. And so you don't want to be able, you know, if, if it rains in your call sheet, it's going to get ruined if you don't have it laminated. Well, we, I, so I laminate the call sheet. Well, what I didn't know at the time was, hey, you make a copy and then you laminated the extra one. So it ends up stopping raining. We're up in the booth, me and Matt are right next to each other. And Kyle's like, Hey, uh, Hey Sean, where, where is, uh, where's my, you know, the original call sheet. I just have the laminated one. I said, well, that's the, that's the only one we got. And Matt's like this, oh my God, you didn't make a copy of it. And Kyle's losing his mind. And I'm like, Hey man, we got to move on. All right. Cause we got a game to kick off. And, and you're like, I can't believe you didn't make a copy. I'm like, I Freaking tell me to make a copy. Sean's classic mine was, well, hey, I can't read minds. <laughs> and he would, move, he would keep it moving. Oh, uh, thank, thank God we won that game. <laughs> oh, I had a hard time moving on. It was tough. You're, you're just I'm you're neurotic you, before Sean. a game. Like, you need everything right. And when your call sheet's laminated, you can't write on it. And there's a lot of thoughts going through your head throughout an entire game. So you want to be able to make notes and do stuff. But once that's laminated, it's it doesn't work. And so I'm always writing on mine. And Sean, I got frustrated because... Sean, it was important to him to be the best quality control in the history of the world. And, and what I mean by that, like, he's going to have that his work done perfect so fast. He knows everyone's name in the building before he even gets there. He's just so on it in all those ways. And he was too on it. Like, he probably checked the forecast. New rain was coming. I'm going to do this. Kyle's not even going to ask me because I know how to prepare this, which was halfway right. But it didn't rain. And I wanted to write on it. And I'm like, God damn, Sean, why do you have to do this? And Matt's like, he's not as good as I was. No, the best nickname for him, Raheem called him this, the red-eyed assassin prior to a game. So don't mess with Kyle's stuff prior to kickoff. Becomes, because he becomes the red-eyed well, assassin? No, he goes in his room. He's got his process. He goes in his room before, before uh, you know, the game and gets his mind right. And he comes out and... There's uh, a lot of energy balled up in there, and he's just ready to oh, it's, unload on something. I, I can't handle too many thoughts, and it's all about football So uh, on Sunday. And so my tact with you know, being friendly on Sunday is not as good as the other six days of the week, and I just – 
I feel like if I was, I'd forget a play or something. And Sean's out there shaking hands, kissing babies. No. Matt's out there passing out his business card. He didn't have a care in the world. I I remember, though, too. So Matt and I, you know, we're so close. We're up top. We're responsible for communicating the information that Kyle needs when he's calling the game. And we were always competing about how we saw coverages and stuff like that. Oh, my God. And Kyle, hey. Will you two quit talking about that? They're always Move trying to on. Out- I don't give a shit if it was a zone dog or man coverage. We're right now. You guys are still arguing about oh, coverages. They're, they're, always, they're <laughs> trying to out QC each other. And so like he's a year removed from having to call the coverage. Then Sean's got to call the coverage and he saw it differently the year before than he sees it. And I'm hearing them argue on the headsets about a coverage from the first quarter that no one even cares about. They just want to be right on it. And it's is it three deep, three under, or is it man with a five man rush? And it's it doesn't matter. It's fun. The, the best was when we were playing New York. Though. We were arguing about whether it was uh, some sort of man coverage. I can't even remember how it went, but we're going back and forth, and I'm like, it was two man, and he's yelling at me to to relax. I'm yelling at him to relax, and then I looked at it and I was like, you're right. It was it was two man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was fun. And a very special thank you to the 49ers head coach, Kyle Shanahan, the Rams head coach, Sean McVay, and the Packers head coach, Matt LaFleur, who were generous enough to donate their time during the NFL owners meetings, take an hour out of their day, which was not easy to do to get them all together, and to sit down for that conversation. We hope you enjoyed it. Now, last week, we had on Deion Sanders, the great Coach Prime, and Coach Prime sends out a daily text message to his players, his family, his friends. And I used to be on his text chain every morning and get words of inspiration. And when we talked about his text chain last week, I noticed I don't get those texts anymore. And I asked him to include me again. And lo and behold, it was about 6.49 a.m. shortly after we taped the podcast when the first text rolled in. And it said, please stop majoring on the minor. You're allowing too many little things to affect you, distract you, disturb you, and cause you to lose focus. When you allow a number of things to affect you, it consequently infects you and eats at you from the inside out. You're too mature to be drinking Similac while sitting on a stroller. Grow and go, Coach Prime. And with that, I'm back with Coach Prime's text. And they've been coming in every morning. More words of wisdom from the man himself, Coach Prime dispensing perspective, philosophy on life, and there's nobody who does it better. We thank Coach Prime for those early morning texts and words of inspiration that now will continue to come into my phone like trade alerts. Love that. Thank you, Coach Prime. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Also, over the last week, a sad story, the Tom Brady-Giselle Bündchen divorce story. It was announced on Friday morning. Tom and Giselle each announced it on social media. And wanting to spread his message and the words that he shared, I basically screenshotted the exact message that he sent on Instagram with Tom Brady on the top. 
and I posted it on Twitter and said Tom Brady and Giselle Bunchen announced their divorce with Tom Brady's exact message beneath it. The only issue is that when I tried to do it on Instagram, I could not reduce it enough to fit the full message in, so I had to cut Tom Brady's message, his name, off the top. So the post was just a message that said, in recent days, my wife and I finalized our divorce from one another. After 13 years of marriage, we arrived at this decision amicably and with gratitude for the time we spent together. We are blessed with beautiful and wonderful children who will continue to be the center of our world in every way. We will continue to work together as parents to always ensure they receive the love and attention they deserve and went on and on. And all of a sudden, my phone started blowing up. And because I cut off the header of Tom Brady, there were numerous people throughout the day who thought I had announced my divorce with my wife. My son was texting me that he was getting messages from his friends saying, sorry that your parents are splitting up. So I didn't mean to cut off Tom Brady from the top, and I didn't mean to alarm friends and family. My wife and I are together. For all I know, she's going to leave me tomorrow. There are many messages on social media that my wife left me, and she might. But as of now, she's still with me. But Tom Brady and Giselle have announced their divorce, and I apologize for cutting off the Tom Brady header because it created a lot of confusion in my life that day, which I certainly did not intend to do. All right. Special thanks to Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, Matt LaFleur. Special thanks to my producer, Christina Buswell, for pouring over the sound and making it all work on this podcast so that you all could listen today. And special thanks to you, the listener, for tuning into another Adam Schefter podcast. Please join us again next week. We'll be back in this spot with more information and insight about week nine. And until then, have a great week, everybody.